0: I know how to hunt, I know how to survive.
1: Welcome back to the Film 89 Podcast, this is episode 83. I'm Sky and joining me tonight is one of the Film 89 fandom's favourite guest hosts. He was our first guest host way back on episode 3 where we talked about John Carpenter's The Thing and he's since returned to talk about Black Mirror, his all-time favourite video games and... Most fitly for tonight's Point of Discussion. He joined us for a huge episode on the entire Predator franchise. And now he's back to discuss the latest entry in the series, Prey. A prequel to the original 1987 film set in 1719 America. It is, of course, filmmaker, podcaster and master cinephile, Martin Kessler. Martin, welcome back to Film 89
0: to be back feels like coming home thank you for having me
1: it's been way too long far too long like you know we were saying before we had to record yep. but in these last three years have been the strangest of times like almost as if we've been in some sort of bizarre time warp where it seemed like both forever and also time has just flown in a in a crazy way absolutely so Martin, you and I, as well as you know Neil and you know another friend of the podcast, Jim Cottle, are huge fans of the original nineteen eighty-seven Predator, as well yes. as its nineteen ninety sequel, of which I think you are the official Twitter champion of that second film. I,
0: I had like a proud papa moment the past uh, week <laughs> or two because um, I've just seen this like huge outpouring of affection for Predator Two a lot of people watching it for the first time I think because of this new film and also I think there was some kind of critical consensus coming out of uh, the early reviews for Prey saying well it's the best Predator movie since the original and then I just started seeing all these people saying like wait what about Predator 2 Predator 2 is great so I got kind of excited to see just how many people were enjoying that film in the past uh, two weeks since that's one I've written about for the site and i've always really enjoyed
1: yeah yeah you wrote a piece uh, you know for Film united about predator 2 and you know we've talked endlessly about it you know we we did an episode which covered you know i think all the predator films from the 87 film up into the 2018 the predator you know obviously a big chunk of that episode was devoted to our love and in particular your love for um stephen hawkins 1990 film so Given that, what were your expectations, Martin, going into prey after the trailers and also then the decision not to release the film theatrically, but to release it straight onto Hulu and Disney Plus? I
0: think after the last two Predator films, Predators and The Predator, I've tried to temper my expectations. You know, this is a franchise that I love, but not every entry in the franchise has worked out that well so i i tried to be cautiously optimistic i think as soon as i heard what the premise was even before i had seen any trailer for it i'd heard something about oh they're making a new predator film and it's set in the 18th century i thought okay, this is the Predator film I've wanted since number two. You know, I feel like this is the direction the series should have gone in after the second film. And it it just feels like it's taken way too long to get to that obvious place. And then there's also this frustration that's come with hearing that it would not get a theatrical release, that it would go straight to Hulu. I think on top of feeling like okay, this is finally the direction this franchise should be going in, it feels a little bit like it's been kneecapped by not getting a theatrical release and not being the sort of high-profile thing that I think could properly revitalize this franchise. Uh, because I, I think, like, the premise, it's it's strong enough this could have been, you know, a big theatrical release film and I, I think probably could have been quite popular. Instead, it's uh, streaming on Hulu, so it's it's a strange... Situation. A lot of people are kind of trying to downplay that, saying, well, the last two didn't perform super well in theaters. So, you know, why should the studio have the confidence to put it in theaters? But, you know, I think it's sort of a misjudgment of why those last two ones underperformed and not recognizing that, like, hey, we actually have something here that should be higher profile than it is. So that was kind of my stance going into the film.
1: I think we're in a bit of a strange, I don't know if it's like a limbo. You know, with regards the the actual health of, of cinema at the moment, obviously COVID has, has had a huge yes. impact on, you know, films getting a theatrical release. You know, the, the whole cinema experience has been significantly impacted by COVID. But I think we're definitely
0: seeing, I don't want to say a return to normality. Well, I mean, you know, there have been films like the recent Top Gun film. I think it's like the seventh highest grossing movie of all time. Yeah, It's not even just the big uh, superhero things. I think, you know, there are a couple of movies released recently that show that, yeah, people will still go to the theatres. Maybe not for everything, but for, I think, especially stuff that demands to be seen on the big screen that feels worth it. I think people still get excited to go and see stuff in the movie theatre.
1: Yeah, and, you know, is there some sort of correlation with the fact that two of the most recent big screen cinema only releases being spider-man no way home and and top gun maverick were actually good films you know films which were faithful to the franchises they were part of and in particular with top gun maverick i know it's not a film that we've covered and you know there were lots lots of like kind of timing related reasons uh, where we we couldn't cover that film but lots of people have asked us what our opinion is on it and speaking on behalf of the whole Film 89 team who have seen Top Gun Maverick, which I think now is all of us, we all genuinely loved that film and thought it was a sequel that is better than the original. It deserves every bit of the success it gets and hopefully is pointing in the direction of cinema getting back on its feet and and getting closer to a time where we were at you know, pre-COVID. But there's also that thing of, I can understand where, especially when you take into terms... You know, the amount of money that it takes to successfully market a film for a theatrical release.
0: I feel like it's probably bordering on low budget. I don't know if I've seen any official numbers, but you get the feeling that it is budgeted as something that's intended to be released to streaming. You know, it kind of has that feel to it, the look to it. There's there's moments, I don't want to say it looks cheap exactly, but I feel like it's obvious looking at it... Uh, not just the visual effects, but, you know, the general look of the film, the way it's constructed, that, like, uh, maybe they didn't have enough money to really fully realize what they wanted to accomplish with this.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's a fair comment. A lot of it is is shot on location. I think, is it Alberta, Canada? I think so. Yeah. I mean,
0: it, it's hard to make those locations look bad. I, I think, like, you just point a camera at it, it its production value. You know, I, I think that helps the film quite a bit. It's the natural setting. You know, you don't have to build... Oh yeah, well, you know, to, when to, you you set yeah. a film
1: in a location like this, like I think I said to you in, in in you know DMs that we were having you know before this this recording, you don't have to be Roger Deakins in order to make locations like that look good. Let's talk about the setting, you know, set in the past. Yes. I think if you'd said to me back in a time before predators and when, when we only had the first two films what my ideal predator film would have been and this is not because of the kind of reference that was made in avp but genuinely i think for me the ideal film would have been going back way back into the past maybe to the you know the time represented in uh, mel gibson's Apocalypse, of which i know you're a yeah. huge fan and, and setting the film then you're way 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 before recent recorded history and, and having the aliens come back way in the past and, and and just basically strip things really down to basics the fact that they've chosen 1719 america and they've you know set it amongst the comanche nation i was like well yeah you know that's that's a good enough compromise for me that is a technologically simple enough time to mean that this predator that comes back, or or comes to Earth, he's not going to need a plasma caster. He's not going to need the kind of technologically advanced weaponry that we've seen in later films. Going into the film then, it kind of was a bit of a mixed bag because this Predator that we see in this film, he's kind of got technology that we're both used to and we've seen in, you know, 1997. He's got that kind of wire mesh razor net that he's got in Predator 2. In fact, this one seems far more effective than that. But then he hasn't got the plasma caster. When those like, laser dots hit a target, he actually fires arrows. So he's got a mixture of both technologically advanced weapons and far more primitive weapons. And if they kept it more primitive, and I think if they'd made him more of an effective hunter... And less reliant on these weapons, which he just seems to pull out of his ass when he gets into a scrape. And let's be fair, Mark, I don't think we've ever seen a Predator, apart from, you know, at, at that end battle stage, like when Danny Glover is chopping his arm off in Predator 2, I don't think we've seen a Predator take so much of a beating throughout the film.
0: Before this really to get gets, to the big dust. gets uh, put through the ringer. Yeah, hmm. I, it's sort of funny. I've seen some people on Twitter who were criticizing the film about uh, Amber Midthunder as the lead, saying, oh, you know, putting a... But, like, by the end of the film, when it's really her facing off against the Predator, the Predator's been through so much punishment already and really she doesn't in in a way she doesn't kill it so much as uh, tricks it into killing itself (laughs) yeah
1: which is fine because look
0: let's be realistic about this
1: i think the only people we have seen which have believably taken on and beaten this huge seven foot plus killing machine with technology far beyond anything we've got is the fact that in the first film you have a man god in the form of arnold schwarzenegger who barely (laughs) beats this creature and it's only because he's stripped down to nothing and the Predator removes his plasma cast and he's like, right, you are a worthy opponent. So I'm going to downgrade myself to give you more of an advantage because, as is set up in this film, oh, sorry, in the first film and in later films, this species of alien hunts for sport and they, they're all about the thrill of the hunt. And in order for that to be something they get satisfaction from, it has to be against a worthy opponent. So you've got man godani, then you've also got in the second film, Harrigan, played by Danny Glover, taking advantage of the city he knows so well. He also then uses the Predator's weapons against him.
0: Well, and also Danny Glover feels like a, an underdog throughout the whole film. He does,
1: yeah. His, his fear of heights, you know, that kind of thing, which is brought in and used really well. You could say, yeah, he kind of lucked out. But no, I think it was just his grit and determination. He's,
0: he's relentless. Yeah, that. he's
1: relentless. He's never yeah. going to give up. He's literally going gonna to spit blood before he lets, you know, this thing who killed his friend, yeah. beat him. And then to take a young girl like this and, and put her against the predator, if you're going to keep it realistic, I think you have to put the predator in a position where he is weakened to make it believable. We've already seen, you know, by the point they go one-on-one, that she is an effective hunter. We, we've seen how effective she is. And in a, a, a patriarchal kind of society like that she is going to be obviously put down and and, and told that no no you're, you're not as good as us and if they'd just done it one or two times in one or two little scenes that would have been effective enough but when they're doing it in four and five scenes I think yeah we get the point you don't need to make this point to us because you're not making a film for children where you would be wanting to show children that males and females have, have equal standing and females are just as capable as men that's something you teach a children you don't need to teach it to an adult audience and this is not a film for children because it is a very graphic film it is very violent and i just thought that message didn't need to be put across as much as it was but it also didn't overpower her they didn't well i think they did in certain circumstances that bit where she takes
0: on the hunters and she is just doing this crazy acrobatics and I mean, looking at this from my perspective, my issue was more with how they executed the creature itself in yeah. this film. I feel like it doesn't feel quite as intelligent as it did in the um, in the first two films yeah. or some of the other films. I think, I mean, like you said, I liked the weaponry, the new gadgets they came up with that felt like more of a throwback, that felt archaic. Yeah. Uh, my favorite was the shield that it used. There's that great... It got the biggest laugh out of me during the film when um, you have these French trappers, these voyageurs, firing at the predator who uses this shield that kind of flips open, and their musket bullets bounce off it, and then they just stop to reload, yeah. <laughs> and you they realize they're in they're in yeah. deep trouble because you know they're they're not going to be able to reload those in time. But um, I thought that weapon was really cool. Uh, but then, like, the, the homing missile dart things, it, it felt a little bit too advanced, you know. And I think seeing how the character, how the creature was characterized when it falls back on using its technology, when it kind of cloaks itself to get out of trouble, it felt like, I don't know, not as threatening as a creature that is looking for that thrill of the hunt and putting itself into danger constantly. Yeah. And it, it changed the the personality of the creature, which I think can be okay, but I I don't know if I really liked just what they did with the characterization of the the monster in this.
1: Yeah, and and going back to Nauru, Amber Midthunder's character, you know, the lead in this film, she has got cunning and guile. She's very adept.
0: I like her line about, well, I'm smarter than a beaver (laughs) when she's talking about the chewing the leg off, yeah.
1: And and she's likable.
0: Yes. I I feel like a lot of um, the strength of this film, it's her carrying the movie, I I think. it's You realize how much of the movie it's just her on her own and her expressions that are selling often not the strongest visual effects. You know, like uh, you can see a CGI bear and you can kind of nitpick it and say whatever, but then it cuts to her face and her wide-eyed look as that monster kills this bear. You're... You're sold. I, I think you're kind of immersed in the film at that point. But, you know, you realise it's it's her doing a lot of the heavy lifting as far as trying to immerse him into this world. I also like the, the, the kind of dynamic between her
1: and her brother, played by Dakota Beavers, and the fact that yes. when he's with the other male members of the tribe, he is kind of playing his part in, in kind of keeping her down. But later on, once they've been through a few scrapes, he then admits to her that she has got what it takes. And you can see he's almost going back on himself and saying, yeah, you know, it's just my position to go with you know, this male kind of dominated mentality that yeah. men make the best hunters, And but ultimately, you are capable. And, you know, I liked him as a character as well. But I, one of the key things about the original and about the sequel, and something the sequel does really well, the creature in the original, who is just... Played to perfection by Kevin Peter Hall, the physicality, yeah. you know that that physical acting which only like a mime artist or or a dancer or someone can do, where every movement is carefully thought out. It's also done in the sequel. I always got the impression with the predator in the second film that it was a younger, less experienced yes. creature, but had a greater array of weapons. And you know, we also learned more about the the predator species in the second film. But in this film, I felt it wasn't a representation of the creature that was in keeping with what we've seen in later films all i wanted to see was that physically that same creature with less technology at his disposal and then he would have to rely more on that kind of hunter killer instinct but like i gotta go back to that thing of it was just a a lack of of common sense when it came to what arsenal of weapons are we going to give him and When he was surrounded by those French trappers and he then puts that device down with all those kind of drone disc things, I thought you don't need him to do that. He should be enough of a threat as just him going up against those guys who are physically no match for him and have got these really difficult to reload weapons. Which are not that going to be that
0: effective against his his armor. The, the predator should have been able to completely outclass yeah. them and yeah. enjoy that. Not not drop off some bombs and run away. That seems out of character. I it, know it was, and it, it seemed yeah. like a
1: kind of a bit of a cheap get out. For the most part, the film held my interest, but then there were moments which maybe not the time I was watching it, but then on reflection afterwards, I was thinking you put so many cool little ideas and nods in the film. It's Just it's something as simple as uh, when Nuru makes you know she sort of peels the kind of um you know the outer layer of of of, of those branches and makes that kind of like rope like thing weaves it into this sort of rope which attaches to the tomahawk and then she's got this weapon and she can quickly retrieve and then you know it, it means it, it's like effectively having an infinite supply of tomahawks you know that was a cool little touch yeah and i want to see more of that yes without yeah. without, without reliance like i you say about the shield... I felt the way the shield was portrayed in the film... At a certain point... It actually looked like his most effective weapon... Because it could cut through anything... In close quarters... It just gave him a massive advantage... Because it was both a defensive weapon... And something which he could just cut people to shreds... He also had that kind of huge spear... Which split into two... He had the darts... He had any number of weapons at his disposal... And it it, also, it, it almost... And my, my fears were that they were going to marry Sue Nauru And they were going to overpower her... But I actually think... In too many parts... They overpowered the Predator... But then they also made him more dumb in the fact that he was too reliant on weapons. And you always get the impression in the first and second films, especially the first film, that this creature, he knows that he is better than everyone he's going up against. He is just trying to whittle down this group of men just to find which one is the alpha male amongst the group. And he then wants to go up against that one. Because even though that scene where Billy is on the bridge and he cuts his chest, we don't see what happened. I think we can kind of posit the fact well, that...
0: His, his screaming, it's its not like a predator just blasted him with no. a cannon. You get yes. the sense that, you know, whatever happened, they were fighting one-on-one because it was a challenge. Um, I think, like, the visual storytelling in this film, it felt not very subtle in comparison mm-hmm. to some of that. Like, you know, the way they illustrate that the predator is looking for the, the alpha prey, the, the creature that it can go after that would be some prize... You know they show the snake eating the mouse so he skins the snake and then the wolf eats the rabbit so he kills the wolf and it feels like very kind of obvious that it's it's telling you these things uh, versus I, I think like when you're watching the first two it's more fun to kind of just feel that out and see that logic play out through the course of the film without really having it explained to in quite that way
1: yeah and i think the fact that in the first film we don't see any evidence that the predator has gone after animals as as prey.
0: I mean, I think on its, um, I don't know what you'd call it. It's got like little caiman skulls and things like that kind of wrapped around it, creature skulls. So it probably was in the meantime when it wasn't hunting people, killing like crocodiles or whatever. I, I think, uh, I mean, I can see it going after a bear and things like that. Like that, that makes sense to me when I'm watching prey. I think for me, it was more just the necessity to kind of show whole scene where the predator like analyzes like ah yes that is the predator and that's the prey and I'm going to go after the predator and you know it it felt like over explaining it to me in some ways versus some scenes I thought were kind of under explained I mean I wish um, partly I I wish you got a little bit of a better sense of some of the other characters of the film I feel like they could feel a little bit um, underdeveloped there were moments where I was watching and you know the predators creating a lot of mayhem and I was thinking wait like didn't that guy just get killed? Is that a different guy? (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, and I think going back to the first film, I think that's a great example of how you can add a lot of character visually to your cast to make them stand apart from each other and easily identifiable. And, you know, even if you don't know the names of the characters on first viewing, you know, like, oh, that's the guy... The big guy with a big gun and the MTV shirt and that's the guy with the glasses who makes the joke and you know you can kind of identify them very quickly and easily that way um, or again like talking about a film like Apocalypto which in some ways maybe is not as similar as it, it could have been <laughs> with this but you know if you watch Apocalypto I, I think there's a good effort to make everyone in the cast very easily identifiable so when you have this big chase at the end and You know, it's very, very fast paced. You can say like, okay, that's that guy just based on how he dressed, how he looks. uh, You know, it's very distinctive versus, you know, a film like this when you have a bunch of French Canadian guys who look maybe very similar. uh, I I found like there wasn't always that same kind of visual clarity in being able you know, there's one guy who has got like the the bare skin wrapped around him with the cigars. But, you know, there's moments like that where I thought, you know, wait, who is that? What's going on? Who's that character?
1: Yeah, I think those those guys were totally disposable. And, and also, I thought it was a little bit too on the nose. By as soon as we meet them, they do everything they can to tell us that these are bad people. And I don't think they should have gone about it that way. Because obviously, later on, she comes to rely on one of that group. I just think that was a little bit too on the nose. And I would have liked to have just seen a little bit more restraint in that regard. I, one of my big issues with all the subsequent Predator films is the fact that... Aside from the second one, which I think does a pretty good job, none of the films, especially Predators and The Predator, who have this, you know, this assembly of, they're basically trying to replicate the the men on a mission feel of the first film, and none of those films are followed. Did anywhere near as good a job as John McTiernan's original did, because all of those guys, we learn enough about them in a short period of time to get to like them. There's a bit of a uh, sleight of hand, bit of a rug pull, where we see that opening action scene where they, uh, you know, in, invade the, you know, the the guerrilla camp, and e- even the action choreography was done by Craig R. Baxley, who was one of the action choreographers on the A team, and it does look very A team, and it does look very eighties generic action, and then all of a sudden the tables are turned, and whoa, hang on, this is not a a typical you know, Arnie action film. This is not the sort of natural follow-up to Commando. This is something totally different. This is Arnie and and, and an invincible team completely on the back foot up against something that they have no idea what they're going up against. This is something like they've never seen before. I like that kind of fork in the road and the way the story turns. Obviously, the second film wasn't able to do that because we knew what our protagonists were going up against. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of that sort of tension building in the first act of this film.
0: I, I wish they got a little bit more into, there's a scene where she says, oh, like what I saw, it looked like mubits, which is a Kamachi. Yeah. It means like giant, basically. It's like a folklore c- character figure. I wish it kind of got a little bit more into, you know, is this something supernatural? Is this something alive? And I feel like that would have paid off mm. really well when her brother, played by Dakota Beaver, says, if it bleeds, we can kill it, you know, that callback to the original film. I feel like if you had more of that atmosphere of ambiguity in the characters not really knowing what they're up against and then, you know, saying, like, okay, we're rational, this thing, we can kill it, we just need to figure out how, I think it would have felt a little bit stronger. Yeah.
1: And I don't. I think what this film needed was a moment like that moment in the original. When I was 12 years old, my first saw Predator for the first time. Maybe I was... I would say I was 12. I, I could have been younger. But it was... Say it was around eighty-eight, eighty-nine. 89. My story on VHS. It was the same day I saw RoboCop also on VHS on both of those films. That's an amazing double feature. Yeah, they, they just left a permanent <laughs> mark on me. And yeah. the, the point in Predator, which totally got my attention and really stuck with me it was that bit where Dutch and his men find the skin bodies of Jim Harper's men. I'd never seen anything like that before. It, it it's it's horrific. It's bone chilling. Even the reactions of the guys, you know, Poncho and he says, holy mother of God and he crosses himself and Max says, anyway, Ain't no way for no soldier to die. That's the moment in the film where it's like, shit. This is something entirely different. This is something inhuman. This is something ungodly. Like, what the hell is going on? I would like to have seen Nauru and some of the other, you know, tribe having a moment like that where they found maybe some of their own people strung up in the trees, skinned or or otherwise mutilated, you know, in in some way that maybe made them think that, well, these French trappers that we know are sort of encroaching on our territory... Was it them? And, and just something like that. A bit more, it, a bit more you tension. You have that
0: scene where you had all the skins buffalo, which, of course, you know, was not done by the predator. It was done by these yeah. uh, French trappers. And I, I think that's a really good idea that you have, that if you had paid that off with, like, oh, is it these... French trappers doing it, or is it something? I, I think like that could have added a lot to that dynamic, and even the the historical commentary that I think the the film wanted to explore, which feels kind of you know on the nose but undercooked in a way. Now I think what yeah
1: one thing it could have done, which would have sorted out that problem with where it was being so heavy-handed with those French trappers is. If it put that scene with the skin buffalo earlier on in the film with the Comanche finding the buffalo obviously creatures which they they hunt themselves but they, they utilise as much of those animals as they can. They don't waste anything. Whereas those French hunters just like we saw in a similar scene in Dances with Wolves where and you know one of the most heartbreaking and, and you know that, that beautiful John Barry score where they find those buffalo just swathes of buffalo just dead and, and they've just been killed purely for their hides. And if they'd had a similar scene earlier on in the film with the Comanche finding the buffalo, and then obviously the huge insult that that would have paid to them, that would have then given them impetus maybe to go after the French trappers. And then if in between that, they would have found a load of their party also hung up and skinned, that then would have given a new tension and a new dynamic. And then, no, hang on, there's actually something else doing this. Just something to make it a little bit more of, yeah, you know, walking that sort of tight line between science fiction and action and thriller which I think that's something Predator actually does perfectly because it's there's a seriousness to Predator especially when they understand the gravity of what's going on you know that line like Pontra says, "You he says, but you ain't afraid of no man. And he says, there's something out there waiting for us, and he ain't no man. We're all gonna die. And it's it's just it takes you out of the action film cliche, and it puts this film somewhere else. It, it kind of straddles, you no, know, the original film. I mean, sorry, straddles all sorts of different genres, and there's a lot of overlap.
0: And I think." that is why it works so well. And I think this setting, it has all the right ingredients to do something like that. I think, like really, I mean, what we're talking about, I think most of my criticisms of the film, which I I liked quite a bit, actually, like I enjoyed this film, no matter how it sounds like I'm I'm (laughs) picking things apart, but like really at the end of the day, I feel like my biggest issue is that the execution doesn't live up to the concept of this film.
1: Yeah. Well, look, as maybe a bit of a sort of late in the game disclaimer, the people listening to this now if you're going to take two people like myself and martin <laughs> and you you could add neil gaskin and jim Carl to this as well four people then who absolutely love the original predator and also love the second film we are going to be the most fierce critics of any predator sequel or prequel. we're holding
0: it to a high yeah yeah we are holding
1: yeah. this film to a higher standard, it's just like me with the 2014 Robocop remake. There is no one that is gonna be as hard on that film as I am because the original, is my favorite film. I'd say it's the film I probably know most about. So if you wanna put that film under a big magnifying glass, I'm gonna be the person who does that. And it's the same with you, uh, Martin, with this film.
0: The Robocop remake actually makes me appreciate the original more because it's showing you all these different directions it could have gone in and why the directions that the original went in worked you know uh, so sometimes it's uh it, it's interesting to see somebody handle the material in a way that uh, just reaffirms why the original worked but i mean i don't know if dan trachtenberg who directed bray was maybe the best choice for this he only has one other film 10 cloverfield lane which is a film that like, I I liked parts of it. I was kind of mixed on certain things also. But after this, like, I, I kind of get the feeling like he's not the strongest director. You know, there's parts where visually this film feels a little bit weaker. I'm sure, again, part of this might be the budget, but a lot of it feels like him kind of doing... I just put the camera kind of close and handhold it because he doesn't necessarily have a clear idea of, like, where to put the camera at any given moment, you know? And, you know, just communicating certain ideas visually. I don't know if he's the best at that um i thought like maybe if the concept had gone to somebody who was a more seasoned director who could maybe tighten up some of the things in the script and and give this a stronger visual identity and kind of take it to that next level i think you would be looking at an an a picture instead of a b or a c picture
1: yeah um let's, let's look at the predator you know the, the last
0: predator film we had the predator is like um you know something they tried to make an a picture that like ends up coming up feeling like a sea picture because of the the ideas and the, you know, there, there's a lot of moments in The Predator where you're just watching and thinking, like, what were they thinking? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't really have that same feeling looking at this because, like, um, Prey, I think what they were thinking was, was correct. You know, they were completely on the right path for this. And it might have just come down to a matter of, like, ah, I wish they had, like, a little bit more money. I wish they had a little bit more style or oomph to kind of, make it pop you know i mean the predator itself i already talked a little bit but like i was thinking like the the physical performance compared to hall's performance in the first two it to me seemed a little bit stilted here and like the costume itself i think looked not you know it looked good at a distance i like the kind of skull mask thing that they did and then you get closer to it i'm like oh this doesn't look as good and partly it's the way it's shot partly maybe it's the costume itself you know there, there's shots where uh, it's a close-up on the hands when it's um, healing a wound on its leg
1: yeah it, the hands yeah no, you put out that Brilliant yeah, and the, about the, the hands you
0: can just see like it looks like the gloves that the actor has on aren't that flexible. So I don't know if, you know, the performance was impaired by the suit in this one a little bit. Or, you know, there's definitely shots where, like, I could see when he was fighting the trappers. Like, my mind just immediately went to, like, I know exactly where the actor's head is in the neck of this (laughs) costume. And, like, the head doesn't sit right. Something weird, like, the way it, like, kind of leans forward and it feels like there's a lack of personality coming through there or like a lack of not personality, but like a a life, you know, that this is like a living creature at moments that I think, you know, the first two are so good at kind of keeping up that illusion and making you feel like you're watching a, you know, real living monster. And then I honestly like when the mask came off and you see the um the new design for the creature's face, I was like, oh, this is kind Mm -hmm. of bad. (laughs) That was kind of my reaction. I don't know why like the, the Predator itself just seems to be getting worse and worse looking on screen. <laughs> I don't know if you agree with me, but I saw this YouTube video a little while ago saying like, what's wrong with the Predator's mouth in the sequels, where they kind of explain that like, you know, in the first uh, one, in the second one also, the, the mandibles should close up in front of the mouth and it sort of makes like a logical sense for this creature where, you know, it doesn't have lips to keep itself moist. Uh, but like you look at over time, the mandibles kind of move further and further away from like the central mouth and you get these kind of buckling effects on the skin of the of the mandibles that should kind of go tight over the front of the mouth. It's a little bit hard to describe in podcast form, but if you can find this video, on YouTube, it does a great point of illustrating like why the Predators in uh, AVP and some of the later ones just look not quite right. There's something that definitely looks off about them. And I thought about that with this one as well, where it looks all right when the mask is on and you can kind of see the mandibles moving, but something about both the design and then the kind of CG effect that they have for some of it, I I thought it looked kind of bad.
1: (laughs) Do you, you Martin, I think what the simplest explanation for what you've raised there is, is two words stan winston
0: yeah it's like it's a testament to stan winston and his team like the the creatures looked worse over time not better you know it's it's not about technological progress it's about that artistry of trying to bring something to life through special effects
1: yeah i think it's, it's when you when you nail a perfect design and uh, let's look at a few examples of perfect designs that we've seen look you've, you've got th- those original stormtroopers which were designed in 1977 for Star Wars. When when George Lucas tried to redesign them in 2002 for Attack of the Clones, the fact that he moved away from practical effects, not a single clone trooper in Attack of the Clones was done practically. They were all done with CGI. And you can tell. But also the design of of the stormtroopers just it didn't look it, it didn't look as timeless as The ones from the original trilogy. And then in the third film, when they brought them back to looking a little bit more like that traditional Stormtrooper design. It was only then that they started to improve. But still, even then, they were all done with CG. They 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 just never captured the, the look and feel of those original designs. Again, look at the original Robocop design in 1987. They maintained the same design for... The first sequel. Granted, then in the awful third film, you know, Robocop <laughs> was being played by a different actor, so it had a different yep. physicality altogether. The suit was still a timeless design, and still, to this day, looks iconic i I know that isn't a word i know that's a word that gets banded around far too much but it does it
0: it is genuinely iconic i feel like the word gets overused but some things really are iconic and the look of robocop is definitely one of those
1: and and then the look of robocop in the 2014 remake you've got the initial version which looks a little bit more like the original which you know it's it's an okay stab at it but then when you've got that all black suit version just looks like a guy in a rubber suit Let's go back to Predator, 1987, and then also you know the the, the Predator in 1990, and, and the Elder Predator in that same yeah. film, in Predator 2, which was actually the same reuse of the original 1987 suit. They just changed things on it. They put more kind of um, trophies and things on him. Gave him kind of. um
0: Gray um, like, hair and yeah, uh, bl- blue. Yeah, a couple blue, little like, changes. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, like a bluish kind of grayish color to his is kind of dreadlocks or whatever you want to call them. But that design, it it it's the eyes. It's the the fact that the mandibles look moist. They, they look. It, it looks real. It looks tangible. And like you say, every predator film you know, after Predator 2. They just, they just never nailed the look of, of the creature again. And I think it's just down to the fact that it wasn't Stan Winston Studios that were doing it.
0: Um, In complete agreement, I think, with what you said. I, I think also, like, Kevin Peters Hall's performance in those first two is so brilliant. Like, I, as far as physical actors go, I think, I didn't see the original quote, but somebody on Twitter mentioned to me that uh, the director of Prey said something about, like, ah, it's just, like, all the guys in rubber suits. But if you watch the physical performance in those first two it's like the best man in a rubber suit performance of all time there's a kind of confidence in the way that it moves and walks and you know that he uses every part of his body when it kind of leans in or stands up it just it brings it to life i think in a way that this one didn't quite hit that for me like it it really did sort of at moments feel like ah it's it's a guy in a suit
1: (laughs) yeah and you know there's a bit in the original way is it, is it after Arnie is covered in or the Dutch is covered in mud and and you know the predator sort of like is, is going away from him he's kind of jumping from log to log, and it, and it's it's shot in a way that almost it's it's almost like they did it in slow motion which gave a, you know, a greater weight to him. He's he's a bit, he was a big guy anyway wasn't he?
0: You mentioned like an actor where your face is completely covered, when he's hopping on those rocks the way he kind of hops from one to another it just exudes a kind of confidence that makes you feel like oh there's not a guy stumbling around in there this is a thing that's able yeah. to move physically and is aware of its surroundings and it just adds something to it that uh, it's hard to replicate there were a couple of moments of i thought good physical acting with this new one I, I don't want to pick it apart too much like there's a moment where she deflects his shield with this uh, kind of spear that breaks into two parts and he chops off his own arm and he just sort of like drops his shoulders and you see that like frustration which i, I thought like that was a nice little moment yeah. i kind of wish there were more things like that my gut feeling is that the suit was probably more restrictive than some of the other versions because like um, even in the predator there's that sequence where the um before they switch over to the cgi predator when there's the one who's escaping and he's running on the roof and yeah you know first stretch i thought like oh that looked pretty good you know when it's uh using the machine gun to blow people away in the lab and i think it kills uh, jake Busey. i forget now <laughs> i haven't watched it in a little bit but like oh that that predator like looked and moved pretty good and i i have a feeling that like maybe this one just maybe the suit wasn't quite up to par or something like that because it, if it restricts the actor then it, it starts to look not as great but yeah yeah, which again you can probably trace it back to the the budgetary stuff and yeah. like you know hey this is a Hulu movie or, what do you expect kind of an attitude. But well look let, let's let, let's put it into perspective then because
1: one other thing I just want to address is that whole thing of practical against CG that bit where Narugo's kind of it crazy with the tomahawk and takes on the hunters and and just you know completely wipes them out. That was clearly a lot of CG enhancement. Yeah.
0: And I'm not like a, a CGI, like anti-CGI kind of person. I'm not a practical no. effects purist. I think CGI effects, sometimes that's the right effect to make. I mean, you know, there was a person today who was sort of saying like oh they should have shot it with a real bear instead of a cgi bear i'm like no that's that would have been stupid like like, you have to be realistic about like where it makes sense to use these special effects but there are times where you kind of have those dodgy special effects and you notice them and it's like why couldn't they just find a practical solution like it's stuff that seems simple enough that you say
1: they didn't use a real bear in the revenant and that scene was really effective so i think it's all
0: it all comes down to you
1: know, the ability of the people
0: doing it the is effects. There's a real, real dog in this movie, which was a very good dog, so I, I like the dog performance.
1: The, the dog, I think, is this film's, one of this, it's going to be this film's unsung sort of hero for me. How the hell you get an animal to act like that? I think, you know, we said the same about the you know, the dog and the thing. How do you do it? And, and the dog just seems to emote There was a bit where they're kind of in that sort of position of advantage looking down on the bear and the bear is just looking. Sorry, the dog is just looking and he's looking intently. And I know that my dog, as soon as they saw something like that, it would either run away or it'd run towards it. But it's like as if this dog is just there, alert, looking at something. And
0: there were loads of
1: moments in the film where I just thought, I love the dog. The dog's my favourite thing about
0: it like the whole girl and her dog kind of element of the movie where it's the two of them off together surviving. And, you know, when the dog runs off and comes back with a rat when she almost uh, drowns in the muck yeah, and she's, you know, the dog has that like apologetic look, like, sorry, I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brought I love you that. a present kind of a thing. You know, like I could have, I, I-, I would have been happy to get even more of that stuff because it's enjoyable. It's, um, it reminded me a little bit of uh, that movie Alpha, which I like quite a bit. It's a, more of a young adult movie about the cave boy and his dog, or um, even the last uh, Vin Diesel, Riddick movie, is going around with this like CGI dog <laughs> creature for a chunk of it. And I, I just like that kind of, you know, it has sort of a Jack London feel to it, which I, I enjoy that.
1: So obviously then, you know, Naru, she ends up one-on-one with a predator who's been, you know, considerably weakened. What do you think about the way that she finally took the predator out with you using <sighs> the mask against him? i
0: mean she's lucky that the predator was stupid <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know uh, like does the predator not get how its own technology works in this one because See, this like, is like the whole principle the creature of this like done. dart gun is it targets it and it doesn't matter where it points its little dart gun it's going to shoot and the missiles will fly around and hit the target but it's not wearing its mask and it's shooting right at her as if like it thinks these are really going to yeah. hit her but Even if the creature knows that she doesn't have the mask or something like that, it's like, you know, I can shoot right at her and it's going to go flying off to somewhere in the woods because the mask is somewhere else. Like, what was it thinking? I don't know. No, I don't. It (laughs) goes back to what I was
1: saying about they just dumbed the creature down a little bit too much for me. And, you know, it it took away then from what could have been a more satisfying ending.
0: I, I like the, like, in theory, the idea that she wins... And defeats the predator not because she's uh, physically stronger than it or anything like that it's because she's uh, clever and smart yeah. and creates a trap like i like that i think it's maybe just like in the execution in like what idea they chose to represent that that didn't work you know a lot of this movie is like i i love i love in theory i love the conception i am like mm, 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 you know in how they kind of realized it so. yeah. Yeah, obviously,
1: she's never going to physically be able to go up against this creature and be a match for him. But yeah, it, it, if it comes down to smart and guile and cunning, then yeah, that's going to be her weapons. And the fact that they chose to go that way was great. But like you said, the, the execution, the way they did it, was a little bit clunky. Really kind of didn't work for me. But, but Martin, before we kind of wrap things up and give our kind of final thoughts on Prey, let's
0: talk about the flintlock pistol. Yes, the uh, fabled flintlock pistol going back to Predator 2, Yeah, which was the first real indicator that, uh, you know, this, the lore of this series, I guess, had its roots in history not just present day stories there's some allusions to that i think in the first movie where you know there's talking about like uh you know it, it comes whenever it's hot and you know you get the sense that this creature's maybe been around for a while but yeah you know, the flintlock sort of represented to danny glover's character that hey you know these things have been around for a long time and they're going to keep coming around hunting people it's like he says to adam baldwin's character don't worry asshole you'll get another
1: chance <laughs> yes <laughs> And yeah, it it was a cool little moment, and I think, was the inscription on that gun 1716?
0: I think 1715, maybe. 1715, which would have put it obviously
1: a few years before this film, which, yeah, Yeah. that would make perfect sense. But then it's a fact that the gun doesn't end up in possession of the predator species.
0: Yes, I I assume this was this film's way of sequel baiting, like, Hmm. oh, the Predators are going to be back for their buddy and, you know, she's going to fight some more of them. Like, I I don't know what (laughs) is necessarily the thing, but it's sort of strange that it didn't completely line up with the second film. I I thought, like, the spaceship with the Predators on it was going to return after she kills this one and she was going to have some sort of an exchange or moment with the others maybe she would give them the gun something like that You yeah. know, they respect her you know this tribe of predators would like you know said like you really are a warrior in their own way something like that but you didn't get that moment which i thought was strange i, I was kind of expecting it but it, it seemed like
1: martin they had a nugget of a good idea the way they inserted the gun into the phone but then they did not know how to properly follow it up to tie it into predator too and it, it you know let's then move on to that post credit sort of paintings thing, which kind of tells
0: a story. The, the paintings are done in this stylized way and sort of recreate the events of the film and the final images, uh, like the oh shit moment of the mm-hmm. Predator spaceships, three of them coming down from the sky. So yeah, presumably they'll, they'll be back for another adventure, I guess.
1: And I've got to say, Martin, because I did promise Jim Cottle I would credit him, but earlier on today he did point out the fact that the way that is done is those little kind of paintings do look like Terrence and Philip from South Park.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't of that, but that's a good
1: All <laughs> um, right, so then Martin, before we start to uh, uh, maybe poke a little bit too much fun at this film, if you could just give your final verdict and score out of 10 for Prey.
0: My final verdict is, I, I enjoyed this film a lot, actually. I, I think there's a lot to kind of pick apart and it's hard to kind of put it on the, same level as the first two films but for me this is just the right direction for the series to go in so i'm happy to get that um I'll happily watch it again. I haven't had a chance to watch the Comanche dub yet. I kind of wish they had just filmed the whole thing in Comanche. But, you know, I I think it's cool that they did that. And I'd say, like, you know, out of 10, maybe a 6.5, something like that. Six out of 10, maybe. But I'd really rather watch this again than the last two Predator films. Oh, 100%. 100%. percent rolling me over time. I feel like maybe there's also things I'll nitpick more over time. But really, like, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm very happy that we got this film and that you know the franchise didn't just kind of die on the buy-in with um, Predator Iron
1: Man suits and stuff oh, like right, that look, After the absolute <laughs> disaster that was The Predator I will take this over that any day my expectations going in were fairly low to be honest with the fact that I, I did sort of maybe take a little bit too much stock in the fact that they denied it a the- theatrical release taking a lot yeah. of the lines of, 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 of do they actually think they've got a bit of a turkey here and it, it's just not going to be worthy of even wasting their time and money to put out theatrically. Well, I
0: have, I have a feeling like this probably if they put it in theatres this would have done better than the last one. Yeah, oh, 100%. Like, yeah. I, like, I, I think you know word of mouth is pretty good on this movie. Yeah. I know the original idea was to put it in theaters without telling anyone that it was a predator movie which i don't know how that would have gone over but that's sort of an exciting idea i can at least imagine this being sort of a a hit in theaters so yeah. it's it's at the end of the day i think it's kind of disappointing that it didn't get a bit better release that it, it feels like there was a lack of confidence behind this film that probably deserved a little bit more
1: yeah and you know like i can say my expectations going in low, um yeah but this is far better film than i thought it would be i loved the concept and the setting it's just as we've said it comes down to points of execution in less in regards to the writing and more in regards to the design uh you know the, the, the the choices they've made with regards to the creature they were the things i think that let this film down but I watched it late at night, which is never the best time for me to watch a film because usually that's when I'm going to e- more easily lose interest. It held my attention for the full hour and 40 minutes, which is a good thing. I would love to go watch it again and watch the Comanche language version. I would. That is how the film for me should have been released. And the idea of that is something that is definitely going to get a second viewing of this film from me, albeit of a slightly different version. I would put it, you know, not counting the AVP films, which I just don't think are worthy of even considering as canon. Although you know, I know there's many people who have argued that AVP is is,
0: is a far better film than you know a lot of people. I like AVP, but I think it's right to not put it into canon it feels like its own like it's it's a video game movie it's a comic book movie you know you kind of have to think of it as as something else yeah
1: in which case if that leaves us with five predator films of which this is the fifth and also you know a prequel to the others i put this slap bang in between predator and predator 2 it doesn't come anywhere close to those but it's i think it's a better film than predators and it's a far Far better film than the Predator, so for me, if you're going for a six Martin, yeah, I, I, I didn't. Yeah, find I, this film,
0: I completely agree with that ranking. Yeah. I think that's the right. Yeah, rating. I did. I didn't
1: find it offensive. Yeah. I, it, it held my attention. It has got problems, but I would definitely recommend this to fans of the Predator franchise, and especially fans of the first and second films. So for yeah, that's a six out of ten for me. So yeah, that, you know, we're we're both on the same page there. That's a firm eighty nine verdict for Prey of six out of ten so before we wrap this episode up i just like to give some shout outs to a few of our followers because we just don't seem to have time to give as many shout outs as, as we used to so big thanks go out to two of our most loyal supporters paul tuff who you can find on twitter at tuff 86 and charity schmidt who's also on twitter at charity e schmidt thanks for both of you for your unceasing support of the podcast and all of our social media shenanigans uh, I've got another shout out also to another Paul. This one being Paul Marchant, who's emailed us the following. Paul says, "I've never had a shout out on a podcast before, so you could if you could make that happen, I'd be very pleased. I just want to say that your recent Wrath of Khan episode was epic, and it made me rewatch the film twice. Also, Sky and your, your Obi Wan Kenobi episode was maybe the funniest episode <laughs> I've heard in a long yeah. while." The way you both offered proper critical analysis while also making the episode laugh out loud funny made it one of my favourites of your episodes so far. And that's coming from someone who actually quite enjoyed the Obi-Wan show in spite of its flaws. Anyway, keep up the good work and thanks in advance for the shout out. No, thank you Paul for the kind words as Neil and I both stressed on that episode. We don't like dumping on anything, especially something Star Wars related because we are Star Wars fans. I completely agree, but I enjoyed that episode so much. <laughs> we, we kind of both got caught up in the silliness of some of the things yeah. in our show. And just instead of going down the serious route of, uh, you know, the, the kind of curmudgeonly sort of approach we you could have taken. You were coming
0: from a place of, like, outrage. I think you were coming from a place of, like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Which uh,
1: I, we I just appreciate. kind of admittedly had fun sort of poking fun at it, I guess. So yeah, if anyone wants to hit us up, as Paul did, you can email us at admin at film89.co.uk. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Film89UK, and you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Sky Movies. Martin, what have you got in the pipeline with regards to upcoming projects, podcast appearances, uh, and, and where can people find you on social media?
0: Best way to find me on social media is at Twitter, um, at Movie Kessler and usually I update whatever I'm doing podcast-wise, project-wise. I've got a couple podcasts coming up. I'm recording one right after this one, actually, but I guess the big project I'm working on right now, it's a big multi-part essay about architecture in science fiction, and I'm talking about films like the Blade Runner sequel, uh, George Lucas's THX 1138, uh, Last and First Men. I'm also getting into some manga like uh, I keep calling it Blame I guess really it should be pronounced Blam uh, I, I'll get into that but that, that's that been kind of my big project for the last couple months and I, I think that should be really exciting I keep meaning to get something written for film 89 lately and it's just I don't know I feel like by the time I sit down to write stuff it's like oh wait Suicide Squad came out a year
1: ago you don't have to explain yourself there with, with regards to the right inside of things it's just I don't know if it's I don't know it all seems to have ground to a halt when you know after covid kicked in i you know, i've written a few sort of pieces for the site but it's just all of my time that i've discussed devoted you know all a little free time i i've got to the podcast and yeah it's as soon as i can get writing again you know I'll, I'll definitely try to but yeah we always look forward to anything that comes from you martin if it's if it's writing if it's podcasts or, or whatever but thank you once again for coming back on it's been far far too long
0: thank you for having me on i'm, I'm glad this came together very quickly and it, it was a pleasure to speak with you it's always great talking with you especially about stuff we feel passionately about absolutely 100 percent.
1: and please 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 uh, everyone listening if you could give us a positive review on apple Podcasts or whatever your podcast provider of choice is as we're pretty much available everywhere these days uh, we would be very grateful so hope you've enjoyed the episode uh so for now i think that's all that's left to say is stay safe But more importantly, you stay classy.